Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. Franklin Roosevelt had a close advisor during much of his presidency. During World War II, when his influence with Roosevelt was at its peak, he held no official cabinet position. Moreover, his closeness to the president caused many to question him, to distrust him. Some viewed him as a political liability to the president. A political foe once asked the president, why do you keep this man so close to you? You surely realize that people distrust him and resent his influence. Roosevelt replied, someday you may well be sitting here where I am now as president of the United States. And when you are, you'll be looking at that door over there and knowing that practically everybody who walks through it wants something out of you. You'll learn what a lonely job this is, and you'll discover the need for somebody like this who asks for nothing except to serve and to help you. Winston Churchill rated this man as one of the half dozen most powerful men in the world in the early 1940s. And the sole source of his power was his willingness to serve. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. 1 Peter 2.21 declares, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Are we walking in the steps of our Savior this morning? Are we following Jesus Christ? With that in mind, I want you to take your Bibles and stand with me, please, and turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, if you will find your place here as we stand together. Matthew 26 and verse 32, let's read it aloud. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Let's read it again. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. I want you to underline that statement. I will go before you. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in Matthew chapter 26 and verses 1 and 2, Jesus leaving the Mount of Olives gives clear instruction about his impending death. The one who will judge will himself be judged. He mentioned his impending crucifixion, suggesting that he knew exactly where he was headed and what was happening. He was no victim in the truest sense of the word, one writer has said. After two days, the Passover is coming. This indicates that in this narrative, from late Tuesday afternoon or early evening of that in Jewish reckoning would have been the start of Wednesday. Note the deliberate effort 
on Jesus' part to tie his death to the celebration of the Passover. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's in Matthew 26 here, 1 and 2. You come later on to verses 20 through 25. Jesus knew that he would be betrayed in what was in Judas's heart. But he never let on to the other disciples as a remarkable testimony to his patience and self-control. In Matthew 26, verses 47 through 50, we read in John 18 that they came to him with lanterns and torches and weapons, making it likely that Jesus could see their aggressive approach from a distance. He showed remarkable courage. Think of that. A 20-minute walk up the Mount of Olives behind him there, a couple of miles down the opposite slope, he would have been in the Judean wilderness with a good possibility of escape. But he stood fast. He held his ground knowing what was about to happen. Here in Matthew 26 and verse 31, Jesus says unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. Would you underline that? For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. It is written. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6 and 7, God calls this mitten shepherd my fellow or my associate. A word used for one's for those who shared ancestral ties or ethnic background. This suggests that the shepherd is more than a mere mortal, but God's equal. In verse 32, Jesus reassures his disciples that all that is about to transpire would not be their end nor his. They would gather together again into Galilee where they would regroup after being scattered and they would be with their Savior. Hold your place here and look over in chapter 28. I think it's amazing just to follow the trek, the path, what was going on here? Matthew 28 and verse 16. The Bible says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Here's what he's saying. I'm getting ready to go to the cross. There's a lot going to happen in the next little while. But though we're scattered, we're going to regather and we're going to press forward with the will of our Heavenly Father. I don't know what is pressing on you. I don't know what may be scattering you and yours right now. But that doesn't have to be the end of you, nor the end of you all. God says that there is a hope of a gathering. He says, I will go before you. I've got to go by way of the cross. Now, I thought about this. He eagerly anticipated the opportunity to be with his disciples, even though he knew one would betray him, one would deny him, and all would forsake him. He sought to help them and prepare them for the trial that was before them. After this trial, he knew that they would be together again. But he must go through Gethsemane, then Golgotha, then the grave, then after the resurrection unto Galilee, and then repeatedly appearing to his disciples for 40 days. Afterwards, he would send, ascend up into glory. Amazing, is it not? This is the path he's about ready to take. 
I don't know what path you're about ready to take, but you don't have to take it alone. Jesus, your Savior, goes before you. You may lose your bearings. You may wonder. See, they ran. <laughs> I think it's amazing. that They all said that they would not deny him. Remember that? Back in our text in chapter 26, uh, Peter spoke up about that, said that he would not deny the Lord and that he would always be faithful all the way through. Likewise, said, also said all the disciples in verse 35. But if you look over in verse 56, it says, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples did what? Forsook him and fled. They were scattered. I, I don't know what you're running from today. I don't know what has just startled you or frightened you. I, I don't know where you're going, where you're headed. And here's what's so amazing. Sometimes we don't either, do we? I, I'm just kind of aimlessly grappling, wondering, I mean, what do I do? How to respond to what's going on here? How do I respond? Jesus, he, he said he's the Messiah. He's the one we've been looking for, we've waited for, but now they're actually going to kill him. They're going to hang him on a cross. They're going to crucify my Savior. What are we going to do? One betrays, another denies, and they all flee. I want to tell you, whether you're the one running for dear life, or you're the one who has people running away from you. There's a God in heaven who knows exactly where you're at and what's going on. And he declares by example through what he did for his disciples here that this doesn't have to be the end of you, nor you all. It may be your family, it may be your friends, it may be some other setting in your life, your associates in life, to where you're being betrayed, you're being abandoned. That's what happened to your Savior. But he made it through. If he made it through, we can make it through whatever comes into our lives. You may be the one that's running. You may be the one who is scared and you don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're doing. But God says, I'm going to regather you. I'm going to set a place to where we can get back together. You know, that's the good thing about having church every week. We can get back together with the Lord and each other every Sunday. Isn't that right? There's a fixed point of reference, the Word of God, and there's a fixed place where we can gather. And, and we scatter out during the week, but we just got to make it back to the Lord's house. We got to make it back to our church family. We've got to gather together once again and be the people of God, be that family that God has called us to be. And God wants to reassure us that no matter where we're headed, no matter what we're facing, nor why, He goes before us. So we all together should just agree that by the grace of God, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm just going to follow the Lord. Wherever he leads me, whatever he wants, I know that I can trust him. I want you to make note of this, if you will. Number one, follow Jesus by weighing your vulnerabilities. Weighing your vulnerabilities. You remember Peter. He's the one who spoke up in verse 33 and said, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Would you underline the word never here? 
Jesus saith unto him, Verily or truly I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. I underlined never, underlined this night, drew a line to connect them. He said, I'm never going anywhere. Jesus said, before this night is over, you'll be gone. I'll tell you, the Bible teaches us all who know the Lord learn to put no confidence in the flesh. Isn't that right? We better weigh our own vulnerabilities. Peter was one who would speak, then think. He was impatient and impetuous. He declared, then denied. He commits, then remits. He refrains from fulfilling what he said he was going to do. He's always back and forth. God wants us to have some stability, to make up our minds. You can choose today that no matter what I'm facing, I am going to follow my Savior and do His will. I don't know where it will take me. I don't know what all the twists and turns there may be involved or come to bear with this journey of following my Savior. But I know this, that I need Him. I am nothing without Him. I in myself will falter, will fail, will disappoint. Psalm 118 and verse 8 says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That includes your own self. This just really speaks to me. I will never, I'll never, by the way, be careful saying that. I'll never deny the Lord. Be careful. I, I, I get unsettled when I hear people talk like that. I'll tell you what, I'll never do that. I'll never live like that. I'll never leave. Oh, be careful. Be careful. Because if you're putting more trust in yourself than you are your Savior, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That pride, that haughtiness that says, I'm okay, I've got this, I know who I am, I know what I believe and I know what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. We should always say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, if the Lord will, I'll go here and I'll go there. I'll do this or I'll do that. I am subject to God and his will in my life. The world says be true to your authentic self. Here's the problem with that. Your and my authentic self is fallen. It's sinful before a holy God. Our own hearts are desperately wicked above all things. Why would I be true to my own self when I could be true to God instead? His heart is perfect. His heart is without error. It's without fault. It's without sin. But my heart is exactly opposite. So desperately sinful, I cannot fully understand, comprehend, or know it. Oh, we better be careful. If we're going to follow the Lord, we're going to do it by weighing our own vulnerabilities. God, I need you. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need to put my confidence in you and not in myself. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. 
The word discover means to denude. It means to shamelessly strip something of its covering and to openly reveal, to parade. Is that not where the world is today? I'm going to be true to my authentic self. This is who I really am. I'm going to strip away any other veneer and I'm going to reflect this is who I am to their shame and to the dishonor of the God who made them. Yet the world celebrates that. The world celebrates wrong and error and evil instead of what is good and true and right That's why we better humble ourselves before God. Don't follow the way of this world, the wisdom of this world. It's going to come off the tracks at some point. Humble yourself before God and follow Him. Walk in the steps of your Savior. Realize how much you need Him and what your true identity is in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, I'm happy to be who I am in Christ today. Aren't you? Christ is my Savior. Christ is my identity. I know that I'm a redeemed, forgiven child of God. And God made me to be who he has in my life for this world, for this time, in this journey. You know what's remarkable about the God who created the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything else that is therein? God looked at all of his wonderful creation and thought it needed you. There's something else this needs, and I'll tell you what, it needs you. It needed me, and God created us. Unique. No one ever like us. No one ever will be. There's only one of you. What are you going to do with this one life that will soon be passed? Oh, may the Lord help us to follow him by recognizing our need for him. Wayne our vulnerabilities, assessing the nature or the importance of the decision before us, realizing that the consequence of leaving God out can never be calculated nor measured for bad or evil. But taking God into account, we can never calculate the abundant blessings that God will give. Number one, we're going to follow Jesus by weighing our vulnerabilities. Number two, by walking in his steps. Remember he went to the garden called Gethsemane in verse 36. That literally means an oil press. I've been there down just outside of the eastern gate, just across the Kidron Valley there. And I think about in Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. It's just at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And those olive trees still there. So many of those trees that that people to this day, and we did, we went into that garden and spent some time with God in prayer. Jesus went there to pray, went to seek his heavenly father. And he was about to drink this cup of suffering. He says in verse 39, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I thought it was interesting. Jonathan Edwards in his sermon, Christ's Agony, commented to the extent to where he said that this phrase, that Christ was sorrowful unto death, even in verse 38, it could also have the indication that he was so sad, so heavy-hearted, 
that it just like he couldn't bear it any longer. He was about to die. His heart was about to explode. Have you ever been there? Your heart's so heavy. Your heart about to just burst in your chest. And it's like, I just can't take this any longer. He said that was the weight of what he was facing. I thought it was so amazing. He said it's also likely that in Christ's humanity he did not fully comprehend the extreme entailments of his death. God the Father may have given him an exhaustive view of what was before him so that his sacrificial death could be fully obedient and fully voluntary. Think about it in prayer. The Father said, now this is what you're facing. To go blindfolded is to go as a victim, not a gracious Obedient volunteer. In Gethsemane, the blindfold came off. It was when Jesus saw the full force of his suffering that he exercised full obedience, offered with full freedom, with full knowledge, and with full willingness. Not my will, but thine be done. Some of us are afraid of surrender to the Lord of what for what might happen. <laughs> It's like, well, if this might happen, I'm not going to surrender to the Lord. But Jesus knew full well what was going to happen and said, Father, I will face this. I will bear this in faith. In his humanity, it was overwhelming. It's something he could not bear long. The Father would have to somehow sustain and help. One evangelist said in Gethsemane, our Lord knelt down in humble prayer at Calvary. Jesus laid down his life as the substitute and sacrifice for sin. On the day of the ascension, Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father and very soon the Lord Jesus Christ will stand up and come again for his own. Jesus Christ yielded to the will of the Father becoming fully obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. And you know what? The grave couldn't hold him. He conquered what we dread and fear the most. He put death to death. And when death died, it was because Jesus Christ lives. And because he lives, we shall live also. What do we have to fear? Let's trust an all-knowing, all-loving, heavenly Father. We think sometimes, oh, this trial is so foreboding. It is so dark and and probably will define me and it'll probably be the end of me. It's going to last forever. It may be just sometimes a short trial, a proving point of life where God is saying, I'm trying to draw you closer to me. And yet we're thinking, oh, no. That's what happens when we deal with it in human reasoning. When we're still saying, I don't know if I want his will above mine. But when we submit and deal with it in faith, we're willing to say, thy will be done. And Lord, I'll trust you for it. And think about it. He was going to die, yes. He was going to be buried, yes. But he wasn't going to stay in that grave. That's why it was a borrowed tomb. He wouldn't need it very long, right? Just over the weekend. And early on that Sunday morning, up from the grave he arose. I'm telling you, God may be proving some of us here today and you're thinking, oh, I'm not going to submit to that. I'm not going to trust God with that. I'm not even going to go there. I don't even want that for my life. But God is calling you to that. God is speaking to you along that line. God is directing you down that path and you keep resisting. And God may, see, think about it. You've got to trust the heart of your father. He knows what he's doing. He is trustworthy. It may not be as severe 
or it may not be as prolonged as your own heart and mind would dread it being. What if God is working in your life to prove you, to prepare you, to open up a door for you that is ahead, but it's not without the cross. It is beyond the cross. The cross of full surrender to where you say, by faith I look beyond the cross and see the crown who for the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12 says, and he realized there is never a crown without a cross, but there's never a cross without a crown. Your heavenly Father will bless you when you submit to him and say, Lord, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever you want, I give myself to you without reservation, without holding back. In any way, I trust you fully. That's what it is to walk in the steps of Jesus, to trust your Father fully. Oh, may the Lord help us not only follow Jesus by way in our vulnerabilities and walking in his steps, but lastly by watching in prayer. Remember what Jesus said. He asked the disciples to watch and pray with them and found them asleep in verse 40. Could not you watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray. There it is, verse 41. That you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. The spirit of God working on our spirit gives us some kind of understanding, some kind of willingness that, you know, there is a God and God is with me and God will help me. The spirit of man, the spirit working with our spirit helps us to be willing. But we also have that old nature, that sin nature. The Bible calls it the flesh. That's still vulnerable. That's still weak. So he says, watch and pray. Watching in prayer. Opposite sides of the same coin. To watch and pray means to be awake, not just physically, but spiritually. Sober-minded, awake and alert, vigilant, watching and waiting. Peter serves as a warning about the dangers of prayerlessness in the lives of Jesus' followers. In contrast, Jesus' second and third times of prayer in verse 42 and verse 44 reflect a deeper resolve to obey his Father's will regardless of the extreme test that was coming. You know what he prayed and then he went and asked others to pray and they weren't praying, but he went back and prayed again. Checked on them, they weren't praying. He, went, he just kept going back to the Father. I don't know about you, but I've learned this. You've heard me use the expression before, pray through something. Sometimes we need to not just pray, but we need to pray again. And pray again, not only to surrender fully, but to gather that courage of faith. That full surrender engenders in our hearts. Father, I'm, I'm going to do your will. And I know you're with me. And you're going to bless me. This matter of prayer, you can never pray too much. And let's be honest, most of us, that's not our problem. Our challenge is, is that we pray so little. The sin of prayerlessness. He said, watch and wait. Be careful. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be ambushed, overtaken by the, a fault. Galatians chapter 6 talks about being ambushed is the fault. Don't be so confident in yourself or in your flesh or in who you think you are or present yourself before others to be that you think you can handle temptation. You can handle 
even whatever God has called upon you to do without really leaning on him or praying. You better be careful about that. Someone said that emotional angst you feel when you have real world problems, some call it stress, some call it depression, others build a wall against negative terms and call it pressure, trials, or burdens, whatever you call it. Remember every minute of every day that God is in control. He will work it out. Just keep doing right. He's still on the throne. He may surprise you. Nothing has ever surprised him. And you can sleep in peace tonight knowing that God is bigger than any problem that you will face tomorrow. In the midst of putting your trust in him, please do not forget to join alongside of him and intentionally, albeit painfully, face your problems and conquer them in the name of Jesus. Oh, I'll tell you, the way we face them is in prayer, seeking God, surrendering ourselves to the Lord. God wants us to be mindful this morning, not to put any confidence in our flesh, to make his will our will, and to be sober-minded as we watch him wait. I thought it was interesting. I read that nearly 70 million Americans have a sleep disorder. Insomnia is the most common sleep disorder with 30% of adults experiencing short-term insomnia. About 10% have long-lasting insomnia. Almost 40% of people report accidentally falling asleep during the day. Almost half of our population, think of that. The effects of sleeplessness. There was a study that was done on the effects of overnight military training and acute battle stress on the cognitive performance of soldiers in simulated urban combat. That's a long title for this study. But this is what they found. Increased fatigue induced by sleep loss is closely related to a lower vigilance level, which becomes evident even after one night without sleep. According to the state instability hypothesis, Sleep loss causes momentary attentional lapses due to variation in an alert state. In other words, individuals with sleep loss lack the energetic resources to upregulate their alertness to show stable performance. This effect can be described from a neuropsychological perspective. The frontal areas of the brain, critical not only for executive functioning but also for top-down control of the vigilant state, are the first to suffer from sleep loss. Think of that. Perhaps the most consistent finding is that slowing in processing speed manifests in prolonged reaction time is a hallmark of low vigilance caused by sleep loss. And I say, no wonder our adversary loads us down with care and worry and doubt and fear because if you're not resting well, you're not responding. I want to tell you, it's important that we not only learn to rest physically. It it is vital to our health. But also that we learn to rest spiritually. We need to learn to watch and pray. To trust in the Lord. To rest in Him. To be mindful of these things that a real battle is raging. The stakes are forever. God, help us not to waste time and energy fighting the wrong enemy. May we choose our battles wisely. It's been said, never fight a battle where there's nothing won by the victory. 
Who are you battling with right now just to get one up on or to show up or to put in their place or to prove them wrong and yourself right? What are you going to gain by that? Dr. Comfort always said, no attack, no defense. Choose your battles wisely. If we're not careful, we're expending all kind of energies on everything else at the expense of doing the very work God has called us to do. God in heaven, help us to unite around our Savior through his word and follow him all the way through whatever we face. And gather together around his word and his will for our lives. He said, I'll go before you. Whatever you're facing today, you have a Savior who's already going before you. You say, well, I'm just running for dear life. I don't know. Hey, listen, he'll gather you back. Let him gather you together. He's able to do that for you, for your family, for this church, anyone else. If you've got people that have, for some reason, no longer a part of your life, but you love them, God loves them, you humble yourself before the Lord. God can gather you back together one of these days. That's one of the great truths that God spoke to my heart about. He said, I go before you. He said, listen, the crucifixion's coming, but so is the resurrection day. I mean, the crowd is going to mock at me and they're going to spit at me. They're going to curse me. They're going to put a crown of thorns upon my head. They're going to crucify me, but I'm going to rise from the dead. You know what? And when all this is said and done, we'll get back together in the hills of Galilee. I'll see you there, boys. Isn't that wonderful? That's your Savior who goes before you today. That's your Savior who's got it all under control, knowing full well what's going on and who was submitted totally to the will of his heavenly Father and could see beyond that cross the crown that awaits. May God help us be faithful in following him, in season, out of season, when things are coming together, when things are coming apart, because it's all about the glory of our Father in heaven. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.